Good morning. I have an idea, but I, I'm not sure exactly how this happened. I mean, I usually have these things scheduled out, and as you know, I missed a few Sundays because of a medical uh, issue. But this morning, we are in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, and here it is. Uh, we as a nation are very mindful of the anniversary of our formation as a nation and the fact that Independence Day is celebrated on Tuesday. And, uh, and so appropriately, I'm not so sure, our topic this morning is anger. <laughs> Let me read to you Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Anger is a touchy subject. Last Sunday I referred to being testy. I don't know if you heard me say that. I kind of ran right past it in a hurry, but I did mention the fact as I was uh, illustrating a day that I had had earlier in the week, I described myself as testy. And I alluded to the, the job of concealing that as best I could, that I thought I did a pretty good job of concealing that on that day. and. Later, after, after church, Shelley and I were talking, and the first thing she brought up was the fact that when I said that, she, and then she even illustrated it with her arm as she was describing to me what was going on with her as she heard me saying that, that I, I think I handled it pretty good. And she said, I just wanted to raise my hand and say, I noticed... But she didn't. She's t you can't hear her, but she talks to me from down here. <laughs> well, anyway, we laugh about that kind of stuff now, but it wasn't always that way. I grew up in a, in an, in a home in which uh, my father was an angry man, and he grew up in a home with an angry mother. So I know there's some generational influence of this. The book of Proverbs and wisdom tells us that if you hang with angry people, they're going to rub off on you. I mean, there is that ability. We're created by God to mirror and influence each other emotionally. And that can be very positive, but it can also be negative. Anger is hard to control. If presidents show anger in public, they risk lo looking like they're out of control, which in moments of crisis is the exact opposite of what people want. Speaking of presidents, and this week I, I, I thought, I think I'll explore whether George Washington, our first president, had anything to say about anger. Well, I couldn't find in any of his writings that he had anything to say 
about anger. I did, however, find contemporaries of President George Washington who had something to say about his anger. So I stumbled on that. In fact, the, the most famous portrait of President George Washington was, was painted by Stuart Gilbert, and his work is renowned. But Gilbert said of Washington that he had a tremendous temper, but held it under wonderful control. It's also known that if his anger ever broke its bonds, he was most tremendous in his wrath. I know that from experience because, as I said, I grew up in an angry home, and as a result, I acquired an angry attitude, an angry outlook on life, and I behaved in the challenges, circumstances, and difficulties of life, I managed them with anger, which is not really managing at all. Anger has a high profile. It's famously loud side on one hand, and a sly, silent side on the other. Anger doesn't have just one speed. Anger can explode, and anger can simmer. There's an old joke that illustrates this, I think. A husband to his wife says, when I get mad at you, you never fight back. How do you control your anger? And she responded, I clean the toilet. How does that help, he asked. I use your toothbrush. (laughs) That's anger, too. That's anger, too. There's a whole range of words for different facets or stages in the spectrum of anger. And her response, even though he said, how is it you control your anger? Well, she really wasn't, at least uh, in the sense of a righteous way, in my opinion. She controlled it in a vengeful way, which is an expression of anger for sure. But I wanted you to appreciate the fact that we're attuned to people who explode and we say, ah, that's anger. But anger is at work in our lives in ways that we would not describe as anger. And yet it's all of the emotion anger. It's a part of our nature, the way we were made. And in that sense, it is God-given. But lots of God-given things that are for our good can also be very used for harm. And anger, unfortunately, is mostly harmful and detrimental. Anger triggers harmful words and actions. And that's why before we launch into these three do-nots, did you notice that? 
Do not, do not, do not. Do not sin. Do not let the sun set on your anger. And do not give a place or a foothold or an opportunity to the devil. That's pretty strong, but it follows something that Paul has made a focal point of chapter 4 in his letter, and that is put off the old self. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is fashioned after Jesus Christ. He is the prototype of the new creation that God has initiated in the power of his resurrection to new life, which we mimic in baptism and in our lives, and we are to be empowered with the same spirit that raised him from the dead, the Holy Spirit, in our daily lives. That spirit which fashions us and molds us and shapes us like Jesus Christ. And that is the new race of humanity that is the good news of the gospel of God in Jesus Christ. He has made it all possible through his cross and provision for all of our failings, the old life, and he has provided for the new life in his resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is really incredibly revolutionary stuff. This is not the old gospel. This is the new good news. And we have to be reminded of it because sometimes we just, you know, we kind of creep around in a culture-created notion of Christianity that forgets how profound and dramatically powerful is this good news. And if you get it into your heart and into your soul and you start acting in faith and acting as a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's going to bring you alive in new and great ways. And you'll put on the new self, and when you find yourself angry, you won't sin, you won't let the sun set on your anger, and you won't give place to the devil. And I can say that from personal experience. I don't want to frighten you, but I was a very angry guy. Even when I was a new believer, even when I started dating Shelley, it is thanks to her that we are still together because those first few years uh, I was I could be very volatile, very explosive, very volcanic, and you didn't want to get too close because of the molten lava. And that is danger at its worst when anger is unleashed and out of control. We are to be in the control of God, under the power, under the control of the Holy Spirit. And so when these old ways, the old person, the old John, the way John learned to live life by watching the way dad dealt with things, that old life had to be left, left behind. And the new life comes through the renewing, verse 23. Remember that it was 22, 23, 24. Put off, 22. Be renewed, 23 put on verse 24. And then right here he says, when you're angry, do not sin. Do not sin. That power is in the new life. Don't let the sun set on your anger. 
That power is in the new life, in the Spirit. Don't give a foothold to the devil. That power is in the new life. But it is tricky, and it takes work. And uh, I have changed over time. You can talk to Sheila. She'll tell you some really cool stories, I'm sure. Cool now because they were once so hot and uh, really full of emotion and fireworks. There's my nod to Tuesday. This expression, be angry, in verse 26, Paul is not advocating that you be angry. This is drawn from Psalm chapter 4, verse 4. And yes, grammatically, it could be read as though he is commanding you, be angry. But, it, <laughs> but notice what immediately follows. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give a foothold to the devil. Look also at the end of the chapter as he continues. This whole second half of the chapter is dealing with the implications and application of putting off the old self, being renewed in our minds, the spirit of our minds, and putting on the new self. And as he works through this, then he comes down to the very end. This is, this is his... Uh, uh, rubber stamp on the, on the finale of what he's saying in verse 30 and 31. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, you could read that, uh, let all bitterness and rage and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice or any kind of evil. Be, notice, now he turns it around. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. There's something hidden there that we'll come back to and look at. But I wanted us to be aware of that right off the bat. So when he says, or when we translate it, be angry, oh, there's a concession to the fact that we're all going to find ourselves angry at one time or another. But, he says, do not sin. Do you know what sin is? <laughs> well, it's anything that misses the target. Anything that falls short of what you're trying to do. We, as followers of Christ, we're trying to do what Christ wants us to do. So when we fall short of that, in other words, when we can't hit the target, that's what the Bible calls sin. If God sets out commandments and we fail to do them, we miss. That's called sin. If mom and dad say, hey, as long as you're in my house, you'll do what I say, and you don't do what your mom or dad says, then that's sin. Here, when Paul says, do not sin, he doesn't define what sin would be, although we do know that the word sin means we're falling short of what we ought to do. Now, we already know that he's just said in the previous verse, put off falsehood, put on the truth, and let that affect your relationships because we're members of one another. And I think it's safe to say that what Paul is saying is, is that when we feel anger coming over us, 
we have to be careful to conduct ourselves in a way that we do what is right. If you will, do what Jesus would do. And if we fail, then we shouldn't stay angry, and especially not through the rest of the day and through the night and into the next day. We should resolve it before the sun sets. And we should get about doing it immediately because if we don't, we're going to give the devil room to operate in our lives like you've never seen before. Because anger of that kind is what I would call unrighteous anger or selfish anger. Let me uh, make a distinction that often gets really blurred, okay? We, have you ever heard of righteous anger or righteous indignation? That's when we are not angry and we observe somebody else being mistreated. We see an injustice perpetrated and that injustice, that wrongdoing causes us to get angry because that's wrong. Look at how that big person's taking advantage of that little person. That's wrong. And you feel that anger. That's what we call righteous indignation because it's not anger about me being hurt. It's anger about someone else being unjustly hurt. Make sense? That's why Abraham Lincoln said, you can tell the greatness of a man by what makes him angry. Unrighteous anger is selfish anger. A lot of anger that we disguise as just anger is unjust anger because it doesn't come out of a pursuit of righteousness, but it comes out of selfishness. And I'll talk just a little bit more about that. Paul's emphasis on preventing anger is that he, he doesn't want us to sin. What's interesting is, and I've been reading for a second time, some writings from a man who lived in Rome at the same time Paul was imprisoned and sent to Rome. In fact, his brother his brother was the judge in the case in which Paul was on trial in Acts chapter 18. How about that? This man's name is called Seneca. Have you ever heard of Emperor Nero of the Roman Empire? Maybe you have a dog named Nero or Caesar. Well, this man was the man who, when Nero was young, was his teacher. And he was his counselor until Nero kind of went off the deep end, and then he asked this man eventually to take his own life. Got to pick your friends carefully. His name is Seneca, and he said, in my opinion, there are but two rules when it comes to anger. One, be slow, to, be slow to anger or don't become angry. And two, in anger, do no wrong. Of course, he felt that was a 
almost impossible thing to do, especially if we're acting out of selfish motives. And a lot of anger is selfish. Anger is dangerous. In fact, anger is just one letter short of danger. And when you see anger starting to emerge in your hearts, it is best to resolve it. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that next week because in the past when I've spoken at men's retreats, I always include a session on anger because the men need to deal with their anger. Everybody, though, wrestles with anger. But some men in particular are raised in a condition where anger is far more considered far more acceptable, and it, it often rules their lives, and in the process, it ruins their relationships. It destroys homes. It damages little children, because we become a monster at our worst, and so we have to be very careful about anger. James, in chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, said, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, slow to listen, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of a person does not produce the righteousness of God. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Verse 26. There's a word here that is aptly translated anger, but there is an element to this word which is a little different to the word that was used in the very first part of this verse. This word implies the cause of the anger. So do not let the sun go down on the cause of your anger. It kind of targets what it is that is a source of this irritation and all the things that come with it. If we could focus on that source and get behind what's going on down in our minds and our hearts, it would help us to resolve some of the anger and that comes with the renewing of our minds in the Spirit. And it's very important to do. I'm going to talk about that more next week, so I hope you'll come back because I'm going to do a, a second uh, message on anger. But how, what Paul is saying is resolve the anger. Don't let it fester. Don't, don't let it evolve. Don't just rehearse the justness of your injustice. All, all anger comes from a sense of injury. Whenever you're angry, if you look closely, you will feel that you have been injured or someone else has been injured, and that is the source of your anger. But a lot of times, that sense of injury is warped. Sometimes, in our minds, we're not thinking very clearly. We're thinking only of ourselves, only our perspective. That's why James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, because a lot of times we have preconceived ideas of what's going on or what should go on. That's a dangerous word, should. Or what must go on. That's a dangerous word, must. 
or what I demand goes on. That's a dangerous word because we're all in school every day of our lives, and we need to learn more about how things tick. And sometimes, like I used to do when I was a kid, I thought, well, this is the way it should be. And if it wasn't that way, then I got angry. Boy, just imagine what that, what that does when two people, like a young man, I was, in tw- I was 20, and a young woman, Shelly was 19, when we started living under the same roof, and all of a sudden, even though we'd had premarital counseling, which I recommend to everybody who's thinking about getting married, but even though we had had that and it helped, still we had a lot of things to work through. She had her view, I had my view. My view was homegrown through my parents and through my upbringing and influences. And I was a brand new Christian. She was, she was a tenured Christian. <laughs> she knew more than me. And she had to put up with a lot of foolishness on my part. But often I just had my rigid idea, and if it didn't go my way, I felt injured by that. And when I feel injured, then I get angry. That was my MO, my modus operandi, my pattern of dealing with things. That's what we need to break, and we need to get to the source. Is that really true? You know, when you find out what's angering you or what you're thinking about another person, is it accurate? That's what I began to do. Is it always that way? Is it never that way? Must we do it every time like this? Should it be my way and nobody else's way? You see all those absolute words. Everybody, nobody, have to, must, should. That immediately cuts off any other conversation about what should be happening, and it kind of enthrones us to look out over our kingdom and dictate what should be happening. And if there's any rebellion or any difference of opinion, then anger can be fueled through that. I hope that makes a little sense. Well, what Paul is saying is don't let the sun set on your anger, especially what's causing it. Look at it in the light of the Lord, through his eyes, with his heart. Reevaluate that. That will temperate. Anger always will die down on its own, but it's no good to just have your anger die down. You've got to rethink your view of the world in the light of the new person that you've put on through a renewed mind that is changed by the character qualities of Jesus Christ, his love, his mercy, his grace, his kindness. And give no place to the devil. The word place translated place, in some translations translated foothold, and in some opportunity, give no opportunity to the devil. The word place is the word topos, and we get our word like topographical. If you want to know how to translate the Greek word topos, T-O-P-O-S, it is place or 
ground or opportunity. And what Paul is saying is, don't give an opportunity or place in your heart to the devil. I find that most of the anger, I'm still fighting anger. I still think of myself as an angry person, even though I know up here cerebrally, but I'm still fighting the, the control of anger. I am not an angry person, but I still have to deal with my anger like I did when I was a full-on, virile, young, angry kid. And when I observe anger rising up in me and I evaluate what irritates me or makes me testy, I find there is a selfish motive. There's a selfish cause. I had certain expectations. I thought it should have happened this way. This is my schedule. Why are these people inconsiderate of me? Anything like that when you're driving on the road. He has no right to do that. You know, that kind of stuff. I know what anger can show, but I'm not angry. So don't be afraid of me. I will not bite. But that's what we've got to get at. And it is that selfishness, that fundamental selfishness that is at the heart of the definition of sin. Because when we are selfish, we are the gods of our own lives. When we are selfish, nobody else is on the throne but us. And when we are selfish and we are angry, that is an open invitation to the devil. You know what the word devil means? It comes from a Greek word that means fault finder, slanderer. That makes sense, doesn't it? The devil is a fault finder. He's an accuser. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it says he is the slanderer of the brethren. In other words, he's going to say to you something slanderous of me. And he's going to tell me something slanderous or fault finding about you. And that's how he creates division. That's how he divides Christians and divides people and divides countries. It is the most destructive force on earth. Anger turned me often into a devil. In, in antiquity, they actually talked about the ugliness of anger. One ancient writer advised his readers when he was writing about the topic of anger. He said, if you could just get a glimpse of yourself when you're really angry, it would be a deterrent, you know? It would just be such a turnoff that you would never want to appear that way or let anybody see you that way again. They even likened it to monsters' masks that scare little children. If you can get a picture of the destruction, the damage, the devastation, the wreckage in relationships, because anger is always generally about people, ultimately. If it's not about me, it's about somebody else being mistreated, because nobody else really matters. It is the kryptonite of the Christian life. It is the kryptonite of the Holy Spirit. And remember what he says here at the end. He says, do not grieve 
the Holy Spirit. Well, this has been a bunch of don'ts, you know? Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. But there is something really positive that I think. I had already said those things. Let me uh, draw your attention to the very last verse again. In verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. A forgiving spirit breaks the spell of anger. How do you get a forgiving spirit? Notice the words, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Those words have really captured my heart. It reminds me that I have a lot for which to be forgiven. I am not the best, the most beautiful, the most talented, the most dedicated, the most devoted, the most loving, the most merciful, and you aren't either. We know our hearts. We don't need to hide them from the Lord. And we can know that all of the little injustices and wrongs that we see in the world, they are harbored in our own hearts. And they have been forgiven by the wondrous, the wondrous love of Jesus Christ demonstrated in his sacrifice of his life for us on the cross. Let me just share with you something that Seneca read, and I think it'll help you follow what I'm saying, because anger is really about what's going on in your thinking and the way you view others and the world around you. He said, and I quote, a great many manufacture, a great many people manufacture grievances either by suspecting the untrue or by exaggerating the trivial. Anger often comes to us, but more often we go to it. It should never be invited. Even when it falls upon us, it should be repulsed. No one, by the way, the Latin word for no one is Nemo. Kind of like that, you know, Captain Nemo, Captain No One. Anyway, no one ever says to himself, I myself have done or at least might have done this very thing that now makes me angry. Did you hear that? I myself have done or at least might have done this very thing that now makes me angry. If you can appreciate that, you grasp the fact that when Paul says, be kind, be forgiving, forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. If you realize all of the grace and the goodness that God has shown you in forgiveness, it will help you to appreciate that when you see flaws and faults and irritations and frustrations in other people, you and I, we've done the same thing. We've been on the same side of that thing. And we can have a mercy and a forgiveness knowing that we represent him. I will just finish with this one thing. No one considers the intention of the doer, but merely the deed. Yet it is the doer that we should give thought. 
whether he did it intentionally or by accident, whether under compulsion or by mistake, whether he was led on by hatred or by the hope of reward, whether he was pleasing himself or lending aid to another. The age of the offender counts for something, his station for something, so that to tolerate or to submit between becomes merely indulgence or deference. Let us put ourselves in the place of the person with whom we are angry. That's what Paul's saying, only on a much higher stage with, with a much greater truth and reality that, of what God has done in Christ. We can forgive as we have been forgiven. It's told that Leonardo da Vinci was uh, working on his painting of the Last Supper, and I think it's appropriate because we're going to observe the Last Supper, as it were, in the Lord's table. It was on that occasion that the bread and the cup and what Jesus said it symbolized was represented. But Leonardo da Vinci was um, interrupted by a careless man, and he became angry, and he really lashed out at the man with some careless remarks. And after the man was shooed away, he returned to his painting where he was trying to paint on the face of Jesus. And he couldn't. And so he put down his tools and sought out the man who was the object of his anger, and he asked forgiveness. And the man accepted his apology, and Leonardo was able to resume painting the face of Jesus. And in a way, painting the face of Jesus, he had to put things down because he couldn't do it because his heart wasn't right. Jesus said, if you bring your offering for sacrifice, but you have an unsettled dispute with someone else, you need to leave your offering at the altar and go and make that right. If you need to ask for forgiveness or extend forgiveness, you need to do that before you offer your, your offering so you have a right heart. In a similar way, we're painting the face of Jesus as we come to take the bread and the cup. In a, in a similar way, we're making our heart right as we prepare to hold the bread and then the cup in our hands and profess that we are his disciple and follower because that's what we do when we do this together. We pray with me. Father, thank you for your, for your life, your teaching, your words, but your life you laid down. That's a gift we can't comprehend but we can accept it and do it by faith and do it with the love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that was offered to us. And we accept that once again. We start afresh. But we also want to live it out as you are free to live your life day to day. As we take this bread and this cup, we profess our allegiance to you. We confess our faith in you. And we do so with joy and praise and glory because of what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had blessed, he broke and said, This is my body, which is for you. <laughs> 